So as Ben mentioned one week from today, Prayer Week 2019, and part of that is going to be a day of prayer and fasting, uh, one week from tomorrow, which is next Saturday. And I thought it'd be helpful to take some time this morning and talk about what prayer and fasting is. What does fasting mean? Why do we fast? What's that all about? And that way we can be united together in what we're going to be pursuing a week from tomorrow. And this is important because we come from very different backgrounds. Uh, some of you are brand new believers in Jesus Christ, and we are thrilled for you. But you may not know much about prayer and fasting and are wondering, why do people do that? What's the point? I hope we'll be able to answer those questions this morning and that you will see what an amazing privilege it is that God calls us to pray and fast. Others of you, maybe you're from a church background which um, regularly prayed and fasted, and so you understand what that's about, and I hope that this teaching this morning will strengthen you even more in your understanding and have you become even more excited and passionate and captured by what it means so that you'll be ready to fast a week from tomorrow. Others probably from a church background where you didn't fast at all and there was never much talk about people coming together to, to pray and fast. And so I'm hoping that today we'll open your eyes to what the scriptures teach about this and you'll understand why prayer and fasting is so important so that you'll see why it's important to give yourself to this. And then others of you are here probably who maybe aren't yet trusting Jesus. We're glad you're here. We long that you would come to the place where you're trusting Christ. But you're not there yet, and you're still learning. And I, I'm praying that today you will see God's love displayed through the fact that he gives us the privilege of prayer and fasting. You'll see his reality. You'll see his love. And that'll lead you even more to come to the place where you put your trust in Jesus Christ. So all different backgrounds here. We want to come together and look at what God's Word says about prayer and fasting. So let's turn to Ezra chapter 8, verses 21 through 22. Now, first Friday of the year, let me encourage you. We love phones that have Bibles on them. We love screens that have Bibles on them. What a gift from God. But bring a paper Bible so that you can circle notes on your pages, write down notes in your margins week after week. That will help you learn even more from this passage. Flip from page to page. But go ahead and turn now or just look up on the screen. Ezra chapter 8, verses 21 through 23. Now here's the background to these three verses. In the book of Genesis, God promised that he was going to raise up a people and move them into their own land, the promised land, and through them bring the Messiah. That's what God promised in the book of Genesis. And in the book of Exodus, we see God doing that. He delivers Israel from Egypt, raises them up as his people, brings them into the promised land, gives them the promised land. But tragically, from that point on, things started going downhill. They sinned more and more and more. And so God sent them prophet after prophet after prophet to call them back. Return to me. Why are you pursuing vain, empty things? Come back to me. I am God. I am the one who saved you. But they ignored the prophets and continued to sin more and more and more. And so finally God brought them a prophet who said, unless you turn back to God, he's going to raise up another nation who will come and conquer you and take you captive back, into, back to Babylon, or not back, take you captive to Babylon. And you'll be there and you'll be suffering there. And the people ignored it and continued in their sin. And so God did just what he said in the year 606 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came and 
invaded Jerusalem and took many of the Israelites captive back to Babylon. But God had said that they would only be in Babylon during this period called the exile for 70 years. And that after 70 years, God would bring them back to Israel. I mean, do you see the mercy and the patience and the love of God here? God is overflowing with grace and compassion and mercy. And just as God said, after 70 years, God brought them back. The first group to return was with Zerubbabel, the king, 537 B.C. And then 80 years later, there was a second group led by Ezra, the priest, And that's the one we're reading about here in Ezra chapter 8. So Ezra gathered a large group of Israelites, got permission from Artaxerxes, who was at that time the the ruler of Babylon. He funded their trip back. He encouraged their trip back. And so they moved out of the city. But as soon as they got to the river Ahava, which is just on the outskirts of the city, Ezra stopped everyone. And he proclaimed a time of prayer and fasting. Now why? And what was the point of that? And we will see the answers to that in verses 21 through 23. Look at what Ezra writes. He says, verse 21, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way, since we had told the king, the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him, and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and implored our God for this, and he listened to our entreaty. So Ezra called God's people to fast and pray. So let's start by asking this question. What did it mean for God's people to fast and pray? And the answer is in verse 21. And as I studied verse 21, I saw three truths about fasting. But look at what Ezra writes again in verse 21. He says, then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. Now, the first truth I see in this verse is that fasting means abstaining from food for a certain period of time. You probably already know that. And the reason we know that from this verse is because the Hebrew word to fast means to abstain from food. Now, sometimes people also fasted from water, but usually when people fasted, it was just from food. So that's the first truth we see from this verse. Fasting means going without food for a period of time. The second truth is that one reason we do that is to humble ourselves before God. Look at that beginning of verse 21. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava that we might humble ourselves before God. Fasting helps you humble yourself before God. Now, it's always important that we be humble before God. There's never a time we shouldn't be humbling ourselves before God, but There's things we can do that will help us humble ourselves before God. Fasting is one of them. Think about like bowing down in prayer. If you were ever praying all by yourself, maybe in your your bedroom, and you just, I just want to bow down, you get down on your knees before God. 
Bowing down like that, that physical posture can help you be more humble before God because it helps you sense I am lowly and nothing before God. And God is vast and glorious and powerful. And that bowing can help you feel appropriate humility before God. Fasting can do the same thing. Because when you fast, you go without food. And when you go without food, what happens? You start to feel weak, right? Don't worry, if, if you're fasting and you start to feel weak, it's working. That's what's supposed to be happening, okay? So when you fast, you start to feel weak. And that feeling of weakness can help you recognize and acknowledge before God just how weak and how needy you really are. So when the hunger comes, don't say this isn't working. This is working. Turn it into prayer. Like you might pray, God, as weak as I'm feeling right now without food, I am far more weak than that without you. Or as much as I'm hungering for food right now, oh, I should be hungering all the more. I need you far more than I need food. Or as much as I'm longing to walk over to the refrigerator and grab something, Lord, I should be longing for you and your presence far, far more. So you can turn that physical weakness, that neediness, into a recognition of just how weak and how needy we are before God and how desperately we need him. So fasting is a gift from God of a way to humble yourself more before God. So first thing we learned, fasting means abstaining from food for a period of time. Second truth, one purpose of that is so that we can humble ourselves even more before God. And then the third truth is that we abstain from food and we humble ourselves before God to seek something from God in prayer. Read verse 21 again. You'll see that's what Ezra and his people were doing. Verse 21, Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him, underline those words, to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all our goods. So the reason that they fasted and prayed was so that they could humble ourselves in order to seek from God a safe journey. They were going to be journeying from Babylon all across what's called the Fertile Crescent down into Israel. That's 1,500 dangerous kilometers full of thieves and robbers and no police force. Dangerous, dangerous journey. And so they were seeking God, keep us safe, keep us safe. This is dangerous, 1,500 kilometers of danger. Keep us safe, God. We're, we're fasting, we're humbling ourselves before you so that we can seek from you a safe journey. So here's how I put verse 21 together, those three truths about fasting. Fasting means going without food so we can humble ourselves before God in order to seek something from him in prayer. Does that make sense? Really clear. There it is, verse 21. Now, how often should God's people fast and pray? How often should we do that? And the answer to that is in verse 22. Remember, I just said that verse 21, 1,500 kilometers of dangerous journey facing robbers and bandits. We might wonder, well, why wouldn't Ezra just ask King Artaxerxes for a military escort? Just ask for some help. Why not do that? And the reason is because of what Ezra says in verse 22. Ezra thought about that, but thought he should not do that. Look at the reason why, verse 22. He says, For I was 
ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way. Since we had told the king, the hand of our God is good on all who seek him, and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. So Ezra had told the king, God is good to all those who seek him. But Ezra wasn't able to give the king the full picture of how God can, in his goodness, use human means to help, like military escorts. So if Ezra had gone to him, just imagine, if Ezra had gone to King Artaxerxes and said, now, Artaxerxes, King Artaxerxes, I know I told you that God is good to those who seek him, but, but would you provide us with a military escort? See, that could have confused Artaxerxes. He might have thought, oh, I guess maybe Ezra doesn't believe that, or I guess maybe his God doesn't help him. So rather than risk confusing Artaxerxes, rather than risk dishonoring God, Ezra thought, we're not going to ask. But we still face a 1,500-kilometer dangerous journey. So brothers and sisters, we need to fast and pray, humble ourselves, and seek from God a safe journey. Does that make sense? So what I conclude from that is that God's people fast and pray whenever we face an urgent need. They faced an urgent need here. The Bible doesn't tell us how often we fast. There's no like fast every third Friday or nothing like that in the Bible. But we see God's people fasting whenever they face urgent needs. For example, when Hannah was not able to get pregnant, in 1 Samuel chapter 1, we read that she fasted and prayed. In Psalm 35, when David's friend gets sick, David says he fasted and prayed. Urgent need. When Israel was attacked, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, King Jehoshaphat calls all of God's people to fast and pray for God to deliver them. Esther, Queen Esther, I love this, in Esther chapter 4, when she risks her life going to the king unsummoned. Remember, if you go without being summoned, he can just say, to death with you. But so she went to the king unsummoned to ask for safety for her people. All of God's people were fasting and praying for her safety. And then whenever Paul and Barnabas appointed elders in a church, as they prayed for them, for God to bless them, for God to help them, for God to guide them, they would fast and pray as they were praying for them. So whenever God's people face urgent needs throughout the scriptures, we see them fasting and praying. Now here's an example. Uh, this is from a pastor in China, Pastor Xi, which is spelled H-S-I, I guess. So it's Pastor Xi. Amazing story. Before he was saved, he was an opium addict. Then someone shared the good news of Jesus Christ with him, and God changed his heart, and he put his trust in Jesus, and he experienced forgiveness of all of his sins. He was reconciled to God, and God brought his power upon she, his name, and freed him from his opium addiction. And his life was so transformed that he started telling everybody in his town about Jesus, and hundreds of people came to faith in Christ, many of whom were opium addicts who also were freed from their addiction. Beautiful ministry starting. But right at this time, his wife, who was not yet a believer, started becoming very oppressed by demonics, demonic powers, demons, tormenting her, afflicting her, terrible low discouragement, depression, horrifying mental anguish. When her husband would say, can we pray together? She would just fly off in a rage against him. So she was terribly oppressed. 
And what made that even worse was that the townspeople who were not yet believers were saying, see, he's offended the true gods by turning to this false god, Jesus, and the true gods are, are punishing him for what he's done. And so he was grieved over his wife's suffering and over what the people in the town were saying. So what did he do? Here's what his biographer wrote. He, Pastor she called for a fast of three days and nights and gave himself to prayer. Weak in body, remember that's how it goes, we're, we're humbled by our neediness, weak in body but strong in faith, he laid hold of the promises of God. He went to his distressed wife and laying his hands upon her, in the name of Jesus, he commanded the spirits to depart and torment her no more. Mrs. She was delivered instantly and permanently and soon declared herself to be a Christian. Isn't that beautiful? Now, that powerfully impacted Pastor She. Here's what his biographer goes on to write. Whatever the crisis that arose, the need of guidance in important decisions, wisdom in handling difficult people or situations, the deliverance of opium addicts or those possessed by demons, the withstanding of persecution or opposition, Pastor She gave himself to prayer and fasting. Because God's people pray and fast when we face urgent needs. That's what we see throughout the scripture. No precise schedule we're given, just urgent need. It's fast and pray. So now, what would, what would come under the category of an urgent need? Well, an urgent need would be maybe a time when you are feeling far from God and discouraged in your faith. Fast and pray. Seek God. God, meet me. Help me. Strengthen me. An urgent need might be a time when, you're, when your faith is struggling. You're going through a trial and you're starting to drift and you're starting to maybe become angry against God. Fast and pray, Lord, strengthen me. Meet me. Help me. Maybe you're battling some sin. We prayed earlier for those here who are battling temptation. But if you're battling some sin, you feel like you're starting to, to lose the battle, that you're starting to drift away, fast and pray, God, save me. God, be merciful to me. Help me. Maybe your marriage is struggling. Some of you mean God may be calling you to fast and pray for your marriage. Maybe you're seeing your, your kids drifting from the Lord, possibly, or maybe they're not saved. You can fast and pray, Lord, Save my kids. I love my kids. You've given them to me. Save them for the glory of your name. Maybe you need a job. Maybe you're facing a health issue. Maybe you're, you're making a big decision. These are urgent needs. So see, God has given us weapons to use as we fight these spiritual battles. And, and one of the weapons, one of the tools is fasting. You may not realize that's in your toolbox. Open up your toolbox. What's in there? Well, there's reading the Bible. There's praying. There's fellowship. Okay, there's, what's this? This is fasting. Fasting is one of the tools in your toolbox. Some of you, it may be way down at the bottom of your toolbox. You've never even really noticed it before. Well, I hope that this morning God will help you see this amazing tool that you have and how God loves to give us the privilege and the honor of fasting and praying. We fast and pray when we face urgent needs. And fasting and praying can have powerful impact on our own spiritual lives. I want to give you an example from David Brainerd. One of my heroes, he was a missionary to the American Indians in the early 1700s. And he wrote a journal, and here's what he wrote happened when he was 24 years old, one day when he devoted a day to prayer and fasting. Here's what happened. 
Thursday, November 3. Spent this day in fasting and prayer from morning till night. I read the story of Elijah in 1 Kings. My soul was much moved seeing the faith and zeal of this holy man and how he wrestled with God in prayer. Afterwards, read Exodus chapter 3 through 20 and saw more of the glory and majesty of God in those chapters than I had ever seen before. Frequently as I read, I fell on my knees and cried out to God for the faith of Moses and for a manifestation of divine glory. The 14th and 15th chapters were unspeakably sweet to my soul. My soul rejoiced in God. Afterwards, I read about Abraham's pilgrimage in the land of Canaan. My soul was melted in observing his faith, how he leaned on God and communed with God. I felt more desire to see God's power saving lost people than I have for a while. Blessed be God for this season of fasting and prayer. See how that works? When God's people face urgent needs, all through the scriptures and all through church history, God's people fast and pray. And church, that's why we are going to have a day of prayer and fasting for all those who are able to a week from tomorrow, Saturday, next Saturday. And the reason is because we face urgent needs here. Now, God has richly blessed us as a church. 2018 was an amazing year for us, and we praise his name. So we have lots and lots and lots to thank the Lord for. But church, we have urgent needs. Let me list some of them. Here's some I wrote down. Church, we need more love for Jesus Christ. I do, and you do, don't we? We need more love for Jesus Christ. Oh, we love him. We need to love him so much more. We should love him so much more. We need more zeal for his glory. And I know there's, there's zeal for Jesus' glory here at Grace Church. So thankful. But church, we need more. And God has more to give to us. We need a fresh outpouring of God's spirit upon us. Lord, pour out your spirit more upon Grace Church in 2019. Pour out more of your grace upon us, more of your presence, more of your work. I think we need more boldness in sharing the gospel. We are surrounded by people who are living in spiritual darkness and who are facing an eternity in hell. That's what we are surrounded by, people who desperately need the gospel. And we have the gospel And it's through sharing the gospel that God saves people. Now, I know it's risky. I mean, we don't want to break any laws here. We're free to share our testimonies of what we believe. But I know there's always risks. What could happen? But listen, Jesus didn't say, if you want to come after me, take up your comforts and follow me. He said, take up your what? Cross and follow me. Yes, there's risks. I mean, did did Paul ever face risks? Did Stephen head into risks? Did Philip face risks? Did Peter face risks? We want to be wise. We want to be prayerful. But they're facing hell, church. And we have the gospel. I don't think we'll have any regrets for taking risks a thousand years from now when we're bowing before the lamb that was slain. And people that we risked for are around us worshiping him in heaven. 
So I'm speaking to myself. I think I need more boldness. I think we need more boldness. There's urgent needs. Abu Dhabi needs more church plants. The Middle East is in darkness, needs more church plants. We have urgent needs that are here. And God's people fast and pray when we face urgent needs. And so that's why the steering team wants to call us, as we're able to, a week from tomorrow, to devote a day to fasting and prayer, to come in together and say, God, pour out your spirit upon us. God, save lost people around us. Save our neighbors. Save people in this country. Save people in this country from other countries. God, do a mighty work here for the glory of your name. Keep peace here in the Middle East so that we can advance the gospel and plant churches. Come and do a mighty work. Lord, bless this other church here, this other church here, this other church here. We want to come together and just plead with God. Pour out your grace. Pour out your spirit upon our church, other churches, Abu Dhabi, for the glory of your name. It's going to be glorious. I cannot wait. But that's why we do it. Because God's people fast and pray when we face urgent needs. Now, there's one other truth in this passage that I think Ezra wants to teach us. And that is, what does God do when his people fast and pray? And that's what Ezra tells us in verse 23. Look at what he says. So, we fasted and implored our God for this. And, underline these words, he listened to our entreaty. What does that mean? It means God heard their prayer, and God answered their prayer. They were on that 1,500 dangerous, 1,500-kilometer dangerous journey to Palestine. None of them were harmed. None of their children were kidnapped. None of their possessions were stolen. God protected them through that journey. He listened to our entreaty. So what does God do when his people fast and pray? He hears our prayers and he answers our prayers. Now we've talked before here that sometimes God answers your prayers by giving you exactly what you're asking for. Just exactly what you're asking for. Boom, there it is. Other times, God answers your prayer by giving you something even better than what you're asking for. And sometimes we need to trust him that it's better, but it is always better. But the point is that God will always answer our prayers. That's what Ezra wants us to understand here. When we fast and pray, God answers our prayers. Now, I need to be very careful to explain what that does not mean. That does not mean that prayer and prayer with fasting earns answers from God. It does not. So important. Just banish any thoughts that prayer or prayer with fasting earns answers from God. Completely wrong. Here's why. It's because we are all sinful. I am, and you are. We've all turned our backs against God. I'd like to live my life, life my own way, thank you. Not interested, just let me make my own choices here. That's what the Bible calls sin. And God is just, and our sin deserves eternal punishment in hell. That's what we all have earned. That is what we all deserve. That's what we've got to understand. Now, the good news is, though, that God, while he's just, he 
is so loving and he is so compassionate and he is so gracious and he is so kind that he sent his own son, Jesus, to die on the cross, to suffer and to be punished for the sins of all those who would put their trust in him. God sent Jesus. Jesus in his love came to do that, to pay for the sins of all who would trust him. And so the moment you put your trust in Jesus, the moment you've trusted Jesus, what happened? All your sins are forgiven. Past sins, present sins, future sins, all of them forgiven, wiped clean. And God's love pours into your heart to assure you that you are forgiven. There's no wrath or judgment or punishment coming ever between you and God. You're reconciled to God. He loves you. And for the rest of your life, he's committed to pouring out his undeserved grace and mercy and favor upon you. And so prayer doesn't earn anything from God. Prayer with fasting doesn't earn anything with God. Think about it this way. My best prayers, and this is true for all of us, but I'll just talk about me lest no one get offended. My best prayers have enough sinful motives in them to deserve hell forever. And so do yours. It's so important. for God is perfectly holy, glorious. No sin can be in his presence. He must judge sin. And because we're trusting Jesus, even those sinful motives as I pray, they're forgiven through what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. I'm clothed with his perfect righteousness. And so it's only because of Jesus, not because of my praying, it's only because of Jesus that my praying can be listened to and loved and welcomed by God. Do you see that? That's grace. It's grace. So the beautiful thing is no matter how much unbelief is in your heart, no matter how far you feel from God, he's waiting and listening to you to pray. Talk to me, come. And when you just... The promise in James 4, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. His arms are wide open because of the cross. So no matter how far from God you feel, no matter how unbelieving you might feel, no matter how much you're battling lust or greed or whatever, you just say, God, help me. And he's listening. He's running towards you with everything you need. Okay, But the point I want to make is prayer and even prayer with fasting doesn't earn anything good from God. Ezra is not saying in verse 23, that prayer with fasting meritoriously earns an answer from God. What Ezra is saying is that prayer with fasting mercifully receives answers from God. When you pray, you will mercifully receive answers from God. You will. Not because you've earned them, but because it's God's mercy. You, you will mercifully receive when you pray. And listen carefully. When you pray with fasting, you will mercifully receive even more. Even more. Now, why? It's because, verse says, God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. The more humble we are, the more we see our lowliness before God, the more God's grace is poured out upon us. Not because we're earning it, but here's why. It's because when we are humbled before God, when we see our lowliness before God, how we don't deserve anything good from God, we are in sync with his purpose. His purpose is to display the glory of his grace to lowly, undeserving people. And so the more we see our lowliness and the more we see how undeserving we are, the more of God's grace we're going to experience. I thought of it like a slingshot. 
So God's purpose is kind of like a slingshot. The more, the more humble, the more like you, you pull a slingshot back. So the more humble you are, the more you're pulling that slingshot back, the more you see your lowliness, the more you're pulling that slingshot back. So when you let go, you just receive God's power. You know, saying, huh? Okay, let, let, me, let me try this, give you a couple of illustrations. Let's say, for example, that you are battling some area of sin. And you're thinking, I've got to fight this sin. You're thinking, I've got this. I've, I've got this. I, I can do this. I've, I've got some discipline. I've pulled off some things in my life. I think I can handle this area of sin. I've got this one. Okay, now, here you are in the slingshot, and you're not pulling, you're not at all acknowledging your lowliness before God, right? So what's going to happen when you let it go? Nothing. Right? Isn't that true? If we come to God thinking, I've got this. Aren't you glad I'm here? You've been waiting for me. You know, I'm, I'm awesome. And nothing. Okay, no, no stretchy, nothing. But what happens if you pray? And you say, God, I can't battle this sin on my own. Apart from you, I can do nothing unless I'm abiding in you. I have no power apart from you, but I'm asking you for power. I'm weak. You're mighty. Help me. See that? Do you see how you're getting in sync with God's purpose? God's purpose is to display his glory by giving grace to undeserving people. Lord, I'm completely undeserving. I'm lowly before you. I cannot do this. I'm unworthy. Ooh, that, that, that slingshot's getting stretched. And then when you let it go, power's going to come when you pray. Now, what happens when you pray with fasting? Remember, we saw earlier that when you pray with fasting, that helps you see even more your lowliness, right? It helps you understand and acknowledge your lowliness. So you're, you've stopped eating, you're praying, man, I'm really feeling weak now. Oh, Lord, if I'm this weak without food, I'm just a wimp if I don't have you. I'm just undone without you. So you're saying, I need you all the more. Lord, I need you. I'm desperate for you. I'm longing for you. So when you just pray with fasting, you're acknowledging your your lowliness before God, you're humbling yourself more, and you let it go, and boom, even more power is going to come. Does that make sense? Okay, now, what happens when you pray and fast with other people? Whoa. Put your seatbelts on, okay? Because when a group of people come together to fast and pray, and we're all together saying, God, we are nothing apart from your mercy and grace, but you've lavished your grace upon us in Jesus, and we're coming to you in Jesus, clothed in his righteousness, and we're asking you, would you do great and mighty things in Abu Dhabi? We don't deserve it, but your name deserves it. Save our neighbors. Save the people that we work with. Change the, the spiritual climate of this country. Pour out your spirit upon us. Save our kids, strengthen our marriages, give us power over sin. We're coming together fasting and praying, saying, God, we are weak, we are unworthy, but you are glorious. You'd love to display your glory by doing great things for unworthy people. Here we are, unworthy people. Oh, that slingshot's just like, woo, woo, ready, boom. A week from Saturday, that's what we're going to be doing. Now, are we clear? Our, our prayers don't earn answers from God. Are we clear on that point? Are we clear that prayer with fasting doesn't even earn anything from God? But do you understand that prayer and prayer with fasting puts you in the position to receive from God because God loves to give to the humble, give to the lowly. Remember the two pictures of prayer that Jesus gives in Luke 18. I think the Pharisee says, God, thank you that I'm not like this person. I'm so much better than him. Man, I'm just, I'm so saved, God. This is awesome. 
And then the other man says, keeps his head down, doesn't even look up to God. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said it was this man who went home justified, saved, forgiven, rather than the other. God loves giving grace and mercy and answers to those who are undeserving and humble and lowly. So banish any thought that prayer and prayer with fasting, and even prayer with fasting as a whole church, earns anything from God. It doesn't. But God loves to pour out his mercy when we acknowledge our neediness, our lowliness, our unworthiness. Okay. So what could happen next Saturday, a week from tomorrow, as we fast and pray? What could happen as we come together and pray for a greater outpouring of God's spirit upon Grace Church in 2019? What, what could happen in 2019 as we do that? What could happen as we come together and plead with God, God, give Grace Church more power over sin in our lives? Sins that are so commonly winning the victory, Lord, give us power over them. What could happen as we pray about that? What could happen in our marriages as we come together a week from tomorrow and plead with God, God, heal marriages, strengthen marriages. Don't let marriages blow apart in divorce. God, bring love. Help husbands to lovingly serve and lead. Help wives to embrace that leadership and, and, and encourage their husbands. Well, what happens is we come together next, a week from tomorrow, and plead with God to save our kids. God, touch the kids in our children's ministry. Touch our kids. We've got older kids. Lord, save our kids. Well, what happened is if we come together a week from tomorrow and pray for God to pour out his saving work upon this country, this city, oh, God has power to save anybody, no matter what their background is. What could God do? Or if we come together and plead with God, plant more churches in Abu Dhabi and in the Middle East, what, what will God do if we come together next Saturday and pray for these things? I will tell you what he will do. He will answer. He will listen to our entreaty, just like Ezra says. Now, let me give you, in closing, 10 suggestions for a week from tomorrow and then just for fasting and praying in your life in general. 10 suggestions for how should we pray and fast. First, make sure you're healthy enough physically to fast, okay? Common sense. If you're not healthy enough, don't. God wouldn't want you to, okay? So make sure you're healthy enough. Second, don't feel any pressure to fast. I know this morning I've pushed prayer and fasting for a week from tomorrow. I'm glad I did. I'm going to keep pushing it. But if, you, if your work doesn't let you fast a week from tomorrow, that's fine. If you have other obligations that don't let you fast a week from tomorrow, that's fine. Ask God, is there another time you'd like me to fast and pray? He'll work that out. No problem. It's not that you're unspiritual if you don't. Okay, are we clear on that? So if you have other obligations, if your work doesn't allow you to, not a problem. Please don't feel any pressure. Third, plan your fast. So plan how long you're going to fast for. Plan what you're going to pray for. I'll often just make a list at the beginning of the day. Here's things I want to pray for today. Just make a long list. So you've got to plan. What passages do I want to read? Anyway, so on. Plan your fast. Fourth, practical step, drink lots of water, okay? Just drink lots of water, okay, because it, it's healthy for you, all right? Oh, I should have mentioned earlier, uh, you know, there are, there's probably there's health benefits for fasting, right? Kind of like detox and losing weight and all that kind of stuff. 
Okay, that, that's another room here. That's not, that's not this room here, okay? That's not what we're talking about here. That's a, that's a different group. Um, feel free to do that, but, but focus on prayer. Focus on humbling ourselves before God. Focus on seeking God, but, but drink lots of water. That'll help you. Okay, fifth, ask God to help you. Father, I don't like to fast. Help me to fast today. Help me to trust you. Help me to be disciplined. Strengthen me so that I can pray. Lead me. Give me faith to pray. Meet me today as I pray. Ask God to help you. God loves to help us, and he will help you when you ask him. Sixth, start by confessing your sins. Unconfessed sin, sin that we know is sin that we are holding to and planning on continuing in, is a barrier between you and God. Confess it. Say, God, help me with this. I've, I've stumbled this last week even. Forgive me. And I want to lay this at your feet. I want to be freed from that sin. Help me. Cleanse me. Forgive me. Assure me afresh of forgiveness through the finished work of Christ on the cross. So start with confession of sins. Seventh, and you pray, right? We're praying with fasting. So don't just fast. You want to pray. So pray through your list of requests. And pray specifically. Don't just, God, bless the world. Well, you can get more specific than that, okay? Save my neighbor, all right? So pray specifically. Pray globally. Pray, pray for other countries. Pray big prayers. Pray specific prayers. Pray persistently. You can pray for the same request more than once, three, four, five, six, numerous times. Remember the parable where the, the, the person was going to the... I'm out of food. I've got a guest at my house. I know it's midnight. Wake up and give me food. Remember? And Jesus says, I tell you, even though he will not give up, get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up. So, Father, I'm not going away. I'm going to keep knocking. Okay, pray persistently and pray passionately. Eighth, use God's word, just like David Brainerd did. Pray over the scriptures. Let scripture stir your worship. Let it deepen your confession, your thanksgiving, your, your asking. Let it embolden your request as you're praying along the lines of what the Bible teaches is God's will. Ninth, humble yourself before God. Again, resist any thoughts that you're earning anything from God. What brings you into God's presence is not your fasting, it's Jesus. He's the only one who can bring you into God's presence. So put your trust in Jesus. But let your fasting help you feel your neediness and your weakness before him. And then 10th, finish by thanking God for the privilege of prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting is a gift from God. It's a wonderful gift to help us humble ourselves before him, to help us pray, to help us seek requests from him. It's a gift. It's a high calling. It's a privilege. I hope no one leaves here this morning feeling like this is a burden that's been put upon you. This is like a Christmas present that you get to unwrap and open. It is a gift to you of a greater role in God's global work. It's the privilege of being able to enter in and cry out to God to touch countries, to touch cities, to plant churches, to pour out his spirit upon people. It's a powerful privilege and gift that God's given to us to enter into. When you're in heaven, you will look back and you will thank God for every day you were able to fast and pray. That's what we're calling us to do a week from tomorrow. 
Let's be a church that fasts and prays. So we're going to give the day to prayer and fasting. We're going to gather here from 3 to 6. If you need child care, email and let us know. We'll be giving you more details about how, the, how that time is going to proceed. But I'd like us to pray together right now. Let's stand. I want to, I want to pray, pray this over us. Father, we are at all different places when it comes to fasting and praying. And you know exactly where each of us is at. And I pray that you would bring your power upon us right now and touch our hearts with exactly what we need. I pray, Lord, that you'd give us eyes to see the gift that fasting can be. I pray that you'd free us from any kind of burden that wouldn't be from you that we would see this as a beautiful invitation to partner with you, to pray, to seek your face like men and women throughout the scriptures and throughout church history have done. I pray, Lord, that right now anybody here who's not yet trusting Jesus, that they would see your beauty and majesty in the call for your people to fast and that they would see even more of Jesus and even more of the forgiveness that's offered and that this morning they would put their trust in you. And I pray, Lord, that you would call us together as Grace Church and that we could join together to fast and pray a week from Saturday and have a powerful week of prayer the following days. Not for us, not for our glory, but for your glory, for the salvation of the lost. Oh, Lord, do this, we pray. We love you, we bless you, we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.